Hello and guten Tag, hier ist Matthias. Today we interview our first Dutch guest, Mr. C.F. from the blog Cheesy Finance. Me and especially my Dutch coast Alba are looking forward to see how the options to go FI are different in the Netherlands compared to other European countries. And we also talk about how to save 100k in three years. We talk about cross-European road trips, islands, yachts and how to torture yourself with a Windows phone. So hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Financial Independence Europe podcast, where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, geo-arbitrage, and making the most of your money. This was your host, Alvar Erminta Matias. Hello, welcome everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Financial Independence Europe podcast. Um, today we've got a really cool episode because we are interviewing our first uh, Dutch guest from the blog Cheesy uh, Finance, Mr. Cheesy Kaas in Dutch. And we're really excited to like finally interview somebody from the Netherlands, dive into a case study in like how the Netherlands is actually working taxation-wise, fire, uh, working, lifestyle, saving and everything around that. I'm obviously not doing this alone. Um, and also wanted to say a quick hi to my co-host, Matthias. Hello. <laughs> from Germany. And our guest of today. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Awesome to have everybody together. Pretty much going to dive into it straight away with the first question. Uh, Mr. Cheesy, could you give us like a quick rundown of your situation in terms of like family, where you're from, where you're living, uh, fire strategy, how you came in touch with fire, where you found out about it. Was it just simply the Mr. Mooney mustache blog that popped up and that inspired you? Like, just give us a quick rundown of how did you get started with this whole story. Okay. Well, and uh, it started in, in, in pretty much 2012. I had the, the best job of a lifetime um, and I really enjoyed that position, but it disappeared in 2013. And I never really found a satisfying job after that. I sort of had my high and I couldn't get that same feeling back. And then by 2014, uh, I really did not like going to work anymore. And my wife had found uh, a magazine. We were still living in, uh, in North America at the time in Canada. And she found a magazine that had an interview with uh, Jacob Lundkrafisk from uh, Early Retirement Extreme. And that kind of hit the nail right on the head. It was my way out. It was my way to actually make money and buy myself freedom. So that was sort of the moment that I started reading up on, on ERE's blog, Money Mustache blogs, Jason Pieper's uh, the Mantra at the time. It just got going from there and it just turned from, from bad into worse, really. And it really got me motivated to get, uh, to get started. Now, my wife already, uh, she's far smarter than I am had already figured this completely out uh, and was, her mindset was already there. It was just a matter of actually reshuffling our finances and get going. So that's what we did. Instead of actually having pretty much all of our money in our house at the time, we started to actually get the money out of the house, reinvest it into other real estate. We flipped our pension funds and made sure that those ones were, uh, instead of low uh, yielding mutual funds, we actually switched them into uh, better yielding dividend uh, shares. And we flipped everything around. So if you then fast forward to now, so 2018, we are still uh, together. We have a uh, five-year-old little girl. We got to the point where we are now about 90% of our, our wealth is invested and only 10% is actually in other things like the car, the house, some, some stuff like art and, and the jukebox that we have. It's been like a complete makeover of our entire finances, which now yeah, generates quite a substantial amount of money. Uh, which actually gave me the opportunity to quit my job already. My wife still has a job and actually gets uh, gets money in to give us that last little bit to completely make us financially independent. Okay, well, so you're a stay-at-home dad at the moment. 
Yeah, that was the, uh, the question that I, I see on the Twitter l- lately. We're like, what, uh, what am I? Am I early retired or am I a stay-at-home dad? I uh, still not sure what the answer is, but I'm definitely without a job. I definitely am a stay-at-home dad to the point where I obviously take care of our daughter for a majority of the time. But on the other side, the chances of me actually going back to paid work are slim to none. So you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. How do you think about it that you're kind of going far and more far away from the normal employee market? Are you worried about it or? No, actually, to be honest, I am. I have a stress level now that I've never experienced before. I'm completely relaxed. Uh, like there's no more Sunday evening rush. Like oh hell, I, I gotta I get to work. I need to prep my dress clothes and I need to make sure that I uh, get the car ready and and all that kind of stuff. Like food for lunch and everything else. That's all gone. Like I, yeah, life is really relaxed now that I actually don't have all those. Uh, things that I have to uh, adhere to that are common to a normal job. So am I missing it? Uh, no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you do all day besides taking care of your daughter? Uh, well, the daughter obviously goes to school now because in Holland at, at age five, they uh, they got to go to school mandatorily. Um, so, uh, and she uh, goes to after school care as well because it's for her a fantastic way to, uh, uh, as an only child, to uh, have a lot of friends around her. So she's uh, around for most of the day or the majority of the week, uh, which gives me the time to uh, do a lot of renovation works around the house. We also plan to split our, our current home into two units and rent them out, and then we move on to a new house. So there's lots of work to be done uh, for that to improve things like the energy label. So it's, it's worth more in terms of rental value. That's stuff that I'm really uh, hard at work with. I do a little bit of maintenance on our real estate portfolio, all the, the rental units that we have, although we try to keep that as passive as possible because for tax reasons, it's smarter to uh, make sure you uh, have it managed rather than managing it yourself, which is contrary to uh, what you see uh, for a lot of people in the States, for example. Then I obviously keep the blog running. Um, I do have a small side hustle that I'm playing around with, which is uh, helping other people trying to become financially independent or at least helping them with their finances, uh, which is slowly but surely taking off. I had a couple of clients already with good uh, good reviews. So yeah, I'm, I'm just taking it day by day and playing around and fooling around and trying new things and going out and having a walk or a cycle ride or stuff like that. I'm just enjoying life. Crazy. That's a really uh, luxury situation, I would say. Extremely. Um, funny thing I have seen on your blog is um, the, the cheesy index. Uh, where you have some cheeses uh, in, a, in a graphic uh, where people can see how far you are away from FI. Can you explain a little bit concept? It's modified specifically for the Dutch situation because what we did is we uh, we obviously meet, or actually it's not obviously, but in Netherlands you still pay taxes on your wealth that you have made. It's a certain percentage and it's a gradual stage and there's also the exceptions to what you, uh, you have to, uh, to include as part of your wealth. But that means that even if you're completely financially independent and you have all your investments in what they call box 3, which is the third, third tax bracket that they use specifically for wealth, if all your income would come out of that box, you're still paying a certain amount of taxes. And that also means that you still need to assume for uh, an X amount of money that you need to pay every year in taxes uh, on top of the amount of money that you need to live, which obviously ends up being a certain amount of money that you need on a yearly basis in terms for living. So what we did for the cheesy index is we calculated using just a 4% return on investment, not necessarily a safe withdrawal rate, because that doesn't necessarily apply to our situation with real estate. We use a 4% net return on investment on our portfolio. So we know exactly what we need as far as net worth. And then we obviously, we know how much worth we have right now. And the ratio between the two is your TG index. Ah, okay. I think I got it half. <laughs> 
Um, but um, I guess it's it's more about to see um, the growth rate and also um, how many the percentage you already have uh, until FI, and also you don't have to put the numbers in the block. Course. Exactly. It's a way to, to do this somewhat anonymously, just to, to, to not necessarily have to report the actual numbers that you have, because in some cases we noticed that, that yeah, uh, talking about substantial amounts of money is still not really taken for granted. It's still something that's a bit of a to-do. Uh, so taking the cheesy index, it was just a nice way to make a ratio between the total wealth required versus the total wealth that you have currently to become financially independent in the Netherlands. Yeah, and it's also not accepted in every country to to talk about money so so much, um, so at least in no, Germany. Unfortunately, it isn't. <laughs> the Netherlands are pretty unique in terms of like how they tax wealth, like other countries have capital gains tax, they tax um, dividends in different ways. And the Netherlands is really like, okay, capital gains, you can make as much as you want, but we're just simply gonna tax the total amount you've got. And I believe at this very moment, everything uh, above 25 or 30,000 euro is taxed what is it like from 1.2% up to 1.6? Actually, it's not as bad, at least for 2019, where they, they start flipping the, the percentages. Yeah. Uh, the first 30,360 euros, if I remember correctly, is uh, per person is free. Mm -hmm. So you pay no wealth tax on any of that. And then you go from that 30,000 to about 102, I believe. That's taxed at 0.58% net uh, effective tax rate. Uh, and then from about 100,000 to a million, you're paying about 148 on your wealth. And then anything over that, you pay about 160. Well, not bad. So it starts to, uh, and this is also obviously always per person, right? So if you are a two-person household, uh, you have double the uh, the threshold that you can use without actually paying taxes. And uh, you can split up your wealth between the two of you, which ultimately lowers your 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 taxes in terms of uh, yeah uh, total 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 tax uh, burden. Uh, because you only have half the wealth. Yeah, but this is always a big concern on Reddit and on other forums of people who like, when I retire in the Netherlands or work in the Netherlands as expats or just simply Dutch people who are like, well, I have to adjust my safe withdrawal uh, rate based on the vermogensbelasting. And in other countries, I don't have that. So why should I stay in the Netherlands, et cetera? But actually, if we walk and talk through the numbers like this, it's a pretty fair tax if you compare it to the capital gains in the US or Germany. Um, and like the dividend tax in the Netherlands is really, really flexible. And all Dutch people also get it back through uh, the tax office, like the Dutch dividend tax day uh, pays. Yeah, which is correct. It's for your wealth tax that you have to pay. So yeah, that technically you don't pay any wealth tax, at least for tax uh, uh, or sorry, a dividend tax that you received on Dutch shares. It's a one-on-one. -on -one you've already paid that tax, so you don't have to pay that again in wealth tax. No, correct. Which and, is convenient. And the 15% you pay on all foreign shares or from other countries, it's not taxed extra as income in the Netherlands, which is something that's done a lot in other countries. And so... Unless it's more than that 15%, obviously, then... But often there's still treaties where they, the Netherlands has a deal with the US or Canada or other countries where you can uh, deduct the extra, actual foreign amount you've paid extra from your Dutch taxes. Yeah, there's some, uh, and that, that's a bit of a puzzle because there's a lot of trees with a lot of different countries. And that's kind of the downside for, for dividend investing in the Netherlands is that, or actually in Europe for that matter, is that you have to go pretty much to all these countries where you have shares to recoup some of the, the dividend tax that you paid down to that 15% level that, that, that eh, if, there, if there's a tax treaty and there's that 15% cutoff, then yeah. It's quite a paperwork and, and, and it deters a lot of people from doing it. Have you done it before yourself? No, because we, uh, because we have our, our, all of our dividend shares in a Canadian pension fund uh, or portfolio and account, which doesn't actually do any withholding taxes within the account. It works in a way that 
the Canadian shares are not required to pay dividend taxes. Um, so there's there's none of that at all. The only downside is when we withdraw the money, it's seen as income, and then you got to pay 25% withholding tax. Just for the Dutch guys, I, I've done it a couple of times where I, where I requested the dividend tax uh, back in my broker. Actually, did it for me for a small fee, uh, Bing Bank in the Netherlands. You pay, I believe, five euro for the request for them of actually doing that. And I've done it once myself in France, but it's a major but and like it's not worth it in terms of what you get back to actually do it unless you have millions invested exactly yeah and that's kind of what it boils down to it's like is it worth the actual effort or not depending on yeah the amount of money you have and the amount of dividend you're receiving it's a it's a personal situation and a personal question that you have to answer for yourself exactly but, but but it's still interesting in terms of like how does the Netherlands approach this um and like you know how far do you go for money how far do you go to save a couple hundred euros in tax versus losing 40 yeah. hours of your own time so i think it's pretty awesome to cover like a tech situation like that uh, but we also want to dive on into like a more um yeah saving related topic because you've got a post running or you saved 100k in three years that was more of a bit of a sarcasm post than anything else though so i'm gonna a little bit annoyed by by other bloggers right oh look at me look at me i've saved so much money and i look at how good i am and then my argument is like yeah you're earning a shitload of money you better save that money otherwise you're a idiot that was really sort of the, the the reason why i wrote the post it's good to save money uh, don't don't get me wrong it's it's and it's really smart to make sure that you're really efficient when you're spending your money so should you look at your insurances yes should you look at your groceries to a degree yes your housing your energy bills your car your everything of course you should do that it's it's something that really helps you save more money and therefore have more money to invest and actually have more passive income. It's kind of a no-brainer. But when you have a good income, I think it's wrong to boast about it and saying, look at me, look at how much money I've saved in such a short period of time because I'm so great. I, I think that's bullshit. If you're if you're in a lot of money, you should have a higher savings rate because you should still live a normal life and, and, and keep things under wraps and, and, and still enjoy life, but just take it easy. Um, but if you're really earning a lot of money, yeah, that means you're automatically saving a lot of money. And that's the reason why for us, yes, we saved a shitload of money. Uh, we, we, we regularly hit savings rates in the order of 16 to 65% in the last couple of years. But yeah, we're earning a lot of money. It should be that kind of savings rates. Because if we didn't, we would just be wasting money like crazy. I love that answer because it's so freaking true in terms of like every single family in the Netherlands who is not able to live on like 20, 25K. That's just ridiculous because it's so much money and you can have such a good life. And if you earn 50, 60, 70K together on a combined income, if, if you're not able to save 30K, then you're doing something wrong because... 25k in the Netherlands, you can have like the most insane luxuries, like you can imagine in terms of life quality, uh, even with kids. Yeah. Um, and like obviously with our American counterparts with like huge incomes and coming with like Silicon Valley, 150k, 200k, no problem per person. It's a bit of a different comparison, but also in the Netherlands, double income families on 70k, so easy to save money in that sense. No, absolutely. It's good to realize sometimes that like like the 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 the, the mean income is 37 and a half thousand euros, gross. So net, you're left at about 25, 26, 27, some, somewhere in that order of magnitude. So if you... Yeah, if you can easily live off 25,000 euros a year, which can give you a pretty decent lifestyle, really. One income will cover it if you have a second income of, of similar magnitude because you are eh, reasonably educated and you got two, two decent jobs, you earn two mean incomes. You should technically be able to save that other mean income. 
and get a savings rate of 50%. In other words, it's not even a hard at all. It's no rocket science. It's simply live on one income, save the other, and don't make stupid choices. If you can, yeah. So the rocket science would not to spend too much time on working, but get a high salary and do something else uh, uh, at the other time of the day. That would be harder. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. But you gotta, you gotta remember though, uh, becoming financially independent is easier if you earn more money because it's easier to save a lot more money if you keep your lifestyle simple. Uh, obviously, if, if you're, if you're, uh, if you're uh, a simple uh, bricklayer or if you're, uh, I wouldn't say carpenter because those guys actually earn decent money at the moment with the, the, the heated economy, But um, the point is more is more that, yes, there's a whole sloth of the population that, that won't actually be able to become financially independent simply because they don't earn enough. If you're, if you're earning as a one-income earner uh, 20,000 euro net a year, uh, it's really hard to save loads of money. Yeah, that's true. Fire isn't for everybody. We're lucky in terms that we're at the top end of the work and the top end of the income skills. And that gives, it gave us this, this fantastic opportunity. But you're lucky as hell to be in such a situation because there's tons of people that would just never get there or it will take them 30 or 40 years, pretty much the normal working life uh, before you can actually go and retire, uh, formally retire, um, before you would actually have similar amounts of money. So it's it's been a balancing act and, and you gotta make sure you're, you keep firmly on the ground and realize that you are in a very fortunate position. You can do this. Yeah, you pretty much ref reflected on your situation. And I also think that there are more than 50 or 70% of the population are not able to save such a lot of money. Although they could do something like the budgeting part or side hustling. They should. Absolutely. You should still be critical of your expenses and you should still make sure you save some money. It just won't be that much, but you should still make sure you present yourself in such a way that you can deal with a job loss or, or some other unfortunate event that happens in your life. So obviously finances are very important. Even if you don't earn a lot of money, you should still be careful where you spend your money on, obviously. Yeah. And how long are you sending your girlfriend or your partner to work or and when, when she plans to... <laughs> to For as long as she loves what she's doing, because she's really, she really loves what she, what she's doing. And, um, in this rate, we probably need another four or five years before we would be fully financially independent. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't be surprised if she keeps on working for another 10 or 15 years because she just really loves what she does. She probably will go down in an hour to make sure if she has like a four hour work week or maybe a three, a three and a half or three hour work week if she, if she could pull it off. But she will continue to work. It's almost like a hobby for her, sort of. And it's also not easy to say how long or to forecast how long you will work because there could be, uh, you said that it's overheating or the economy is overheated. Maybe you have to work a little bit longer or maybe you are just fired because of recession. Well, I mean, I wouldn't say the economy is overheated, but the economy is doing quite well. I mean, especially in, in things like trades at the moment. And I'm talking about plumbers, carpenters, uh, people that do work around real estate. Oh, they're having golden times at the moment because they just, there's work everywhere and they can charge quite good hourly wages. What do they do? Same here in Germany. It's like lottery to get uh, somebody um, to uh, work in your on your house or something like that. Very much. <laughs> But I also read that um, in the in the near future, for example, because of the chatbots and uh, autonomous driving, working in a supermarket, working as a trucker, these jobs are disappear very fast in a time span of three years or four years. And that's why uh, in the short time, a lot of people will be unemployed. And it's interesting to see how that works out then in the end. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It'd be, I'm, I'm not going to do a prediction of what's going to happen and how, because honestly, I don't know. 
uh, I'm going to go with the flow and, and, and see what happens. But uh, are there going to be substantial changes in what we do in, in terms of work and how that all works out? Absolutely, I agree. And um, just one question, because we also like to get the most out of you <laughs> for our listeners. Um, you, you said you're um, saving a lot and it's, no, it's a no-brainer to do it. Um, do you have any um, like um, hidden tricks to to save more money you got to read my last post on 10 secrets to becoming wealthy because that was one of my other pet peeves uh, there are no secrets there's no 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 special tricks or, or tips it is really continuously staying vigilant on where you spent your money on every time you pull your credit card out or your bank debit card or your wallet think about what you're going to spend your money on how much money you're spending and in, in terms of, of like the amount of money you make per hour, how many hours it takes you to, uh, to, to work for this. And if that is actually worth it, it could be that for, for holidays, you can spend an awful lot of money, but the amount of memories you get back and the amount of happiness that it generates, uh, it could be very much worth it. But for things that are mundane and everyday life, like insurances in your car, yeah, in, in my opinion, it's, it's smart to make sure that those things are going to cost you the least amount of money, just eh, the amount of money that's required to have it. And we see that you're very disciplined uh, with your um, with your savings because you're on the phone today uh, because <laughs> we tried to get you on your computer, but um, as you don't have a new MacBook Pro, nope. it was really hard to um, <laughs> to start the, start the interview because you have some older um, yeah, operating systems, some Windows phone. Um, so you proved... Uh, not to waste your money on gadgets. No, no, no. Don't, don't get me wrong. I like gadgets, but the ones I have, I'll, I'll, I'll use them until they break. And when they break, I'll start looking for something new. And uh, probably won't buy the newest model, but I'll buy one that's one or two years old to make sure that it's just financially more interesting. We have uh, computers, iPads, and all kinds of uh, laptops and everything else. But by now, most of them are, are yeah, are older. I've seen another article in your blog um, that you. Um, that's why I want to ask you if you um, already purchased a castle or a yacht or island or are you still saving for a whole planet? No, although the, the, the castle the castle is still on, on the back of my head though. Uh, it's financially, it didn't appear to be that um, interesting. <laughs> Go figure. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's just fun to look at those out of this world, if you will, topics uh, and, and, and items and see uh, what it would actually cost you. And, and if there's are any creative ways to see if you can actually make some money out of it or, or at least the cost of the, the item or real estate lower to make it within reach. Um, I find it just a, a fun challenge to, to, to dive into these topics and, and see what you can do with it. There's bound to be more of those posts that, where I'm going to look at other things to see if uh, if they're worth buying and if they're worth buying with sort of a business case in mind to yeah, reduce expenses for those items. I really love your approach and like, you know, just diving straight into it and like, no bullshit, no nonsense, just simply, hey, this is the way it works. This is what I like. But do you utilize all those strategies at once? Um, we're slowly uh, going to round up the interview in terms of time. Time, uh, for all of us, but we've got a few more questions uh, and something I really wanted to ask, like the big holiday trip uh, you guys did earlier this year, uh, like the whole camping and traveling through Europe. Could you like quickly walk us through that, like what the idea of it was and like how you guys like kind of travel hack that as well? Okay. Uh, yeah. So this was really sort of a, a trip of a lifetime. Uh, we came up with the idea back in 2015 and when we just got back to the Netherlands. We always wanted to do a really big trip, but we, we realized that when our daughter was going to turn five, um, she had to go to school mandatorily and actually taking your kid out for such a trip is, is virtually impossible. There's probably some ways to pull it off, but it's, it's virtually impossible. So we planned this out. We talked to our uh, employers at the time telling them, you know what, that year from there, they're going to go on a, a, a two-month trip or 
three-month trip. We were, we were trying to figure out exactly how, how long we could stretch this. And so we and we informed them well in advance, told them that we were going to do this. Um, so they weren't surprised and that we could actually uh, allow for help at, at work to make sure that work was transferred over to other people to make sure it was smooth. So we got that all in order. And, and from there on, we literally just booked the first night, two nights of a hotel. And that was it. And we just brought our laptop with us and we literally just hopped from one Airbnb to the next. So we literally did about 58 or 59 nights in all kinds of uh, Airbnb uh, units with different experiences and, and varying results uh, in, in that sense. Um, but it was, it was awesome. We just went literally from, from, from the Netherlands. We drove straight down pretty much to the southern part of France, went to uh, the, uh, the west coast of Italy, which is absolutely stunning, by the way. And then drove across the country, hopped over uh, with a ferry over to the other side of the Adriatic and actually landed in Croatia, which is a fantastic place to visit. And then we worked our way back to the Netherlands. And yeah, we uh, took us nine weeks to uh, to make that trip. And it was absolutely fantastic. And it didn't even completely break the bank because I think we did it all for like six and a half thousand euros, all inclusive. So that's including all of the accommodations, food, all the visit and uh, excursions that we did, gas, years, whatever, although we didn't buy too many of those. Um, but yeah, we, we, we got in at around just over 100 euros a day all in, which was pretty good because we budgeted for about 150. Oh man, and I know lots of people in the Netherlands would actually spend more money living at home versus you actually traveling and probably doing it cheaper than a lot of people would actually live on. <laughs> yeah, no, for, fair enough. <laughs> it, it did cross the mind. Like, so if you want to do this permanently, like how much would you need? It would go up a little bit because you would need things like uh, healthcare insurance because you can only travel for so long before eh, before your healthcare insurance starts to, uh, you run into the limits of what you, you can do. Same with travel insurance. Um, those, those are usually limited two or, or, or three months uh, a year. So your cost would go up a little bit, but still uh, you could you could probably pull this off at like 40,000 euros a year. You could be continuously traveling very luxuriously through Europe if you uh, if you do it well. So yeah, there's, it's not bad. Well, which is nuts with three people as well. Uh, so, and also uh, Mr. Sias, in terms of uh, where to find you, where can people find your blog, Twitter, Instagram, everything? Okay, so I'm, uh, uh, we can find us definitely on Twitter. It's just Cheesy Finance. Uh, and obviously the blog is uh, cheesyfinance.nl. And yeah, it's, go have a look. Uh, don't take everything too seriously, but there are some neat little nuggets in there, here and there that you uh, you can use, especially if you want to become financially independent in the Netherlands. There's some nice ones on taxes and real estate that you could, uh, could look at. But overall, it, it's a nice chronicle of, of my journey and my change in mindset and um, uh, trying to figure out how life works and how this whole early retirement thing works because it's uh, not necessarily uh, easy all the time. It can be lonely because you're the only one that's home. There's nobody else because uh, everybody else is working. Go figure. And it's, yeah, it's an interesting, uh, it's for me anyways, it's an interesting journey to write down and figure it all out. So I hope that uh, other people that read this uh, find it interesting as well and, and get some ideas out of it. They should definitely check it out. Um, and then uh, next question in terms of actionable tips, if you uh, what would be like the number one actionable tip you would give to somebody on uh, their path towards FI? Make sure you make it a mindset. It's probably the most important thing you got to work on because all the little nuggets like investing and, and, and savings and everything else, they're all relatively easy, but actually doing it consistently for a longer period of time, you really got to work on making it a, a lifestyle. You got to have, you got to reinvent yourself every now and then to make sure you can keep going. It's critical that you make it a, yeah, a mindset. 
the last question of today. Um, so what is the one resource like fire resource that's not really well known, can be blog, article, podcast, you would recommend listeners, people to check out? <laughs> the one and unknown uh, <laughs> um, is Bieber's uh, story. I mean, that guy came from a very uh, simple, from a very simple background and a relatively simple job, nothing special, nothing fancy. And he still manages to, to completely turn his life around from, from having debts and being in a crappy position to actually fully fire in Thailand. I, I find that story quite inspirational because it, it, it also shows that it's not just available to say the top 10% of, of uh, the, the, the population, but it's also available to, to more people. As long as you're willing to really work hard at it, uh, go for it and be consistent and continue. So that would be my... Um, yeah, I, I, I enjoy uh, some of his little nuggets and stories and, 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 and his, his overall yeah, uh, attitude towards life and fire. Mr. C.S., thank you so much for all that wisdom and craziness and also being our first uh, Dutch guest after all the German, Swiss and English people. It's good to have like some, uh, yeah, <laughs> one of my countrymen on the show and uh, like the Dutch um, situation and a case study thrown in so because there are many, many uh, people in the Netherlands following fire and really want to get there and you've got a great blog going on there so thank you so much for coming on to the show thank you very much appreciate it thank you guys for listening to this episode we hope you learned something new and enjoyed the show you can support us by doing this subscribing through your favorite podcast program and leaving us a review following us on instagram and twitter at financial independence europe Sending us an email with questions and feedback. We would love to hear from you. All the mentioned articles, books, and cool resources can be found in the show notes at financial-independence.eu. Thank you for listening and see you next time.